Jesus comes in to the home of a sinner. And it was scandal. And it was outrageous. And people talked about him. And Jesus had dinner with sinners. And the Pharisees and the self-righteous folks were outraged. But that didn't stop them from coming and sitting in the public courtyard and listening through the opening of the room where Jesus was talking. They were scandalized by him, but they did want to hear what he said. And so in the room about where they ate dinner was the church of the sinners. And in the room outside, the courtyard outside, were the religious folks who had come to judge. And Jesus told them a parable. A parable is something that you lay alongside of. It's a story that you lay alongside a great spiritual truth. The story that Jesus tells that evening, we call the prodigal son. I might rather refer to it as the Father's love. And the great truth that I believe that Jesus laid the parable alongside of comes from the Psalms. It's David's lament to God. I wonder if it might be ours today. This is the word of God as David spoke it in prayer. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Against you and you only, Father, have I sinned. Pray with me. Father, where these words are according to your word and will, plant them as a seed and help them to grow. And where these words are outside of your word and will, make them to be a dry leaf, to be blown away in the wind, that no one might remember them. I pray it in the strong, strong name of Jesus. Let it be. Amen. You all know the story Jesus told. It is probably the crown jewel of everything he taught in parable form. And you know that there were two sons, though we really only talk about one. But this morning as we get started, I want to put the parable a little out of order and tell you a little bit about the older son. The older son. He was someone who suffered from resentment and anger and bitterness. He did all the right things for all the wrong reasons. What he did for his father, he did out of obligation. He did not do it out of love. As a matter of fact, he resented his father. He resented his brother. He resented life. And if I were to capture this older son, I, I would have to tell you about a, a story that I read about a farmer an interesting farmer, for he had come to find himself bitter and angry about a particular enemy, one that he despised, one that he hated, one that he resented. And his enemy, of all things, was a hawk. A hawk. 
But to that farmer, that hawk represented everything that was wrong in his life. If his cattle stirred and moved to a different field, he would say to himself, that hawk has spooked them. If rabbits came and ate in his garden, he said, that hawk is not doing his job and he's just driving the rabbits into my place. If he woke up early in the morning, he said, it's that hawk making noise. He hated that hawk. He obsessed about his hatred. He resented it. That hawk could do nothing right. That hawk was evil. And he began, as he lay at night, to plot what he would do to the hawk if he ever could get the chance to catch it. If he got that hawk, he would do monstrous things that were well-deserved of the hawk. And he planned, and he dreamed. Now, there's one other thing you need to know about this farmer. He was the proud owner of a brand-new John Deere tractor, of which it meant more to him than anything in life itself. He loved that tractor. He loved it so much, he built a new barn over it. And it was his pride and joy. Now, you have to remember that. Don't forget it. As the farmer lies awake at night, thinking about the hawk. And finally, one night, he came up with the plan. He would take nets. He would spread them out between the trees, and he would capture the hawk. Well, for days, it didn't work. And then one day, it did. He came, and the hawk was entangled in the net. And he thought to himself, now. Nah, now, now the bitterness can be acted out. Now the resentment can be acted out. Now I can enjoy my darkness. Killing the hawk outright wasn't good enough. So he went into his new barn, and he came back with three sticks of dynamite. which he then tied to the feet of the hawk. He set a 20-second fuse, and he thought to himself, this is what the hawk deserves. It will think it's free, it will fly, and then it will be blown up. And what a gleeful sight that will be. So he untangled the hawk, lit the fuse, and began to count it down as the hawk took off. 20. 15, hawk, what are you doing? The hawk with the three sticks of dynamite attached to it was not getting the right altitude. This was a problem. Fly higher, hawk. Hawk wasn't doing it. 13, 12, 10. The hawk, not able to fly high, flew level into the open door of the barn. Eight, the farmer says no, begins to run towards the barn. Five, the hawk proceeded apparently to scrape its talons and, and its, its legs against the, the, the fork of the tractor to try to pull off the weight that was keeping him from flying. Apparently he must have succeeded. Four, three, the hawk flew out an open window, two, one, 
kaboom, the barn blows up, the tractor blows up, and you would have to ask yourself, farmer, when you're filled with resentment, can you ever see light in the midst of your darkness? And that's the older son. The older son is one that would destroy rather than love. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger son came and said, Father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. He was entitled to one-third of all movable property, the livestock, the oil, the grain. But the only way he could get it was if the father died. So in a way, he said to his father, Father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. And those that were listening in the courtyard knew that's what it meant, and they were just outraged. It was insolence. But the father loved his son, and he gave him one-third of the property, which the son didn't need. He didn't want that. He wanted money. And so the father bought back his own property from his son and had the money. And the son now has the money, and he has a wish. He wants to go to the far country. You know, when we see this parable lived out, we say to ourselves, the far country, he must have made a great trip. Actually, the far country was less than a day's walk from where he lived. The Jews lived in the valley, and the far country was a city-state of the Greeks up on the mountain. And up there was everything that the son had dreamed about. And he went up there, and of course we know what happened. He, he lost all of his money. He, he just squandered it. He threw it. It, meant, it means throw it away. He squandered it. He began to be hungry, so he pawned his cloak. And that night it was cold. Well, for in Jewish custom, if you pawn your cloak and it's cold, a poor person can go back and get the cloak for the night and then bring it back in the morning. That doesn't work with the pagans. They said, get out of here. Leave. Be cold. We don't care. And he was cold. Eventually, he, he sold his robe, then his shoes. And then, being in great want, he went to someone. He said, give me a job. They said, leave. And Jesus says, no, that person eventually being prevailed upon and nagged said, okay, I'll give you a job. You're a good Jewish boy. I'll give you a job. Go take care of my pigs. Go take care of my pigs. It was the job of an outcast, somebody that, that was meaningless. And, and he went. And it said that he would have gladly eaten what the pigs were eaten, eating, but no one would give him anything of it. Can you see light in your darkness? That's where the boy was. He was filled with, with shame. He was feeding pigs, and he would have eaten their food. It was the food that, that is actually called fruit of the goat horn tree, and it's filled with a kind of gelatin material, and the pigs would eat it. And, and it is said that when Israel is reduced to eating from the goat horn's tree, they repent. They repent. And so the boy, the boy feeding the pigs, filthy, dirty, naked, Jesus said, came to himself. Those are great words in Scripture. I, I hope you'll cling to them. And the boy came to himself. It means he, he found himself turning away from something towards something. He repented. He found a new sense of what it meant to be himself. And naked and dirty and ashamed. He looked into the face of God.
Lord, I have sinned against you and against my Father. I'm not worthy, but I will arise and I will go to my Father and I will say to him, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me work for you. Let me be a servant to you. I'm not worthy, but I want to come home. Father, let me come home and be a servant. And he started down from the far country. And as he came down the hill, rehearsing in his own mind what he must say to his father, his father knew the great spiritual truth that Jesus offers. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. The sin is not against his earthly father. The sin is against his heavenly father. But that earthly father, Jesus said, was in his watchtower every day staring at the path that leads down from the hills, from the far country, looking for his boy, waiting for his boy. And when he saw that face that he, and only he would know at a distance, he ran. He ran to the place, ran from the village, ran from the farm, ran from all people, and he saw his son, and his son blurted it out, Father, I am not worthy to be called your son. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven. Father, let me work for you. But the father, even though the boy was naked, caked in dirt and filth, wrapped his arms around him. Behind the father was running a servant. Always, always a servant was with the master of the farm. But the father didn't let the servant see his son in that condition. his arms around the son, held him while he spoke to the servant, go quickly and fetch the festival robe, fetch the best robe. You would know that robe, it's what got Joseph killed. It wasn't that it was multicolored, it was that it was long. For if you wore a long robe, you could not do the work of servants. That's why Joseph's brother threw him in the pit. He was going to be in charge. Go and get the long robe that we wear for the festival when we're not working. Go and get shoes for my son is home. The servant leaves and brings all that. And then in a robe with shoes, Father is bringing the boy home. Bringing the boy home. Now the people that were in the courtyard could not understand what just happened because one who had done what that boy had done to his father, as Jesus describes it, would have been treated as someone who was dead. The people of the village would have turned their backs on him. He was a dead man walking according to their tradition. But the father said, He's my son, and I love him. And so Jesus then said, he put a robe on him, 
and shoes on his feet. But then he does something that the scribes and Pharisees could never have understood. But Jesus did. Because in his story, he says this. And the father put his ring upon his hand. That ring is not just an ornament. That's a gold-plated credit card. Because with that ring, the son can spend anything of the father's wealth. It's his signet ring. It's his credit card. It is the most extreme generosity that anyone in Jesus' time could have offered. And the people outside went, that's ridiculous. But isn't it ridiculous? Isn't it outrageous? Isn't it unbelievable that because of Jesus the Christ, people like you and I can see light in our darkness? We can be covered in the worst of dirt and sin, and he will wrap his arms around us. We can be shoeless so that we will be as a slave and he will put shoes on our feet and a robe of glory on us and say, this is my child. This is my child. If you ask yourself, how in the world could anyone ever forgive like this? May I give you just something to take home with you a little bit? How do you forgive? You need to do three things to forgive. And if you do only two of them, you won't forgive. Three things. When you come to a place where the Holy Spirit demands of you a sense of forgiveness, the first thing you have to do is say to yourself through the Spirit of the living God, I will not bring this up to you anymore. First one. Second one. I will not bring this up to somebody else or anybody else anymore. Do you know those first two are pretty easy? I'll bet you anybody in this room faced with the idea of offering forgiveness could say, I won't bring it up to you what you did to me. I won't bring it up to anybody else what you did to me. But this is the hard one. In the name of Jesus and through the power of the living God, I will not bring this up to me anymore. And that's the hard one. Not to the person, not to others, not to myself. When we do those three things, we stand in the halo of true forgiveness. And that's what the Father was able to do. That's what the Father did. And when the Father offered that up, that extreme, unconditional, wondrous love. Only then could the boy see the light in his darkness. Because then he was really home. Really home. Reminds me of when we were in Melbourne, a, a story was told of, of a news account. They, they, the news reporter reported it. They had found people living under a bridge and there was a boy there, dirty, hungry, scared, a young boy. 
And the reporter said to him, how did you come to be here? And the story was told. Oh, can't you, can't you go home? No, I don't think so. I, I, they wouldn't want me after what I said, the boy told the reporter. Well, I think you should call home, boy. I think you should call home. I said things to my mother and father that they could never forgive. I think you should call home. And the reporter persisted and took the boy to a phone and that day when you could still find a pay phone. And, and he dialed the number. And the reporter said he stepped back and let it happen. And, and at the end of about a 10-minute conversation, the boy stepped from the pay phone and came up to the reporter and said, my parents. I told them I was sorry. I told them I was sorry. And they're coming to get me and bring me home. My parents said they love me. And they're coming to get me. See, light in your darkness? Can you? Jesus, understand. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Forgiveness is a gift. Forgiveness is love. Forgiveness is life. I, uh, I don't listen to it anymore, but I used to like to listen to some country music now and then. In fact, if I had thought about it earlier, I would have gotten John to work on it, and maybe we would have sung this, but I just want you to hear the chorus, and I want you to know the story of it as I tell you the chorus. Uh, a fellow that had been quite a troublemaker when he was young became eventually a songwriter, he got into all kinds of fixes and messes, and then all of a sudden, as God would will it, he got married, and then as God would will it, he had a son that was just as ornery as him. Been there? You know what that's like? And that son grew up, and that son got into all kinds of trouble, but he finally did things that, that, that well, he did one that was really ornery. He went out without permission, took the car, and... He went out and he, he popped over a curb, but he didn't just pop over a curb. He managed to get himself entangled with a brand new Porsche. And then he came home to tell his dad about it. And his dad was just beside himself. Not only did you go out there and get in an accident, you had to go out and get an accident with one of the most expensive cars you could hit. And the son was just broken. And, and the father sat down and he said, I prayed about it. I prayed about what I should do. I prayed about what I should say. And he had that conversation with his son and later he wrote a song that I, I really came to like and, and I'm just going to give you the chorus of it as best as I can remember it. It goes like this. Let me tell you the secret about a father's love. secret that my father said 
is just between us. You see, a father doesn't love his children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. It's a love without end. Amen. And that is how you see the light in the darkness. Amen? We together are going to experience something now that is sacred. We're going to experience communion together. It is the great gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have a bulletin in front of me, friends, and I hope I'm in the right place. Am I in the right place in the worship? All right. That's why you're here. You are, to, you are to help us do worship. You don't sit, you worship. Now, there is nothing more sacred to the body of Christ than the moment when we look into the face of God and we say to God, this is what Jesus did, and this is what Jesus gives, and we're doing it just in remembrance of him. And so when, when we gather, we gather to remember Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would take something as simple as a piece of bread and make it so sacred that it could melt our heart and free us from a burden. Because he said, this bread represents the way I love you. This bread represents what I would do for you. This bread represents everything that I am as your friend and as your Lord. And then, This is how much I love you. This much. The bread of life offered by the Lord of life to you and I so we can have life. And he took the cup of blessing. Some say Elijah's cup. Said, ah, so if Elijah visited the meal, he would be served. A blessing cup. But he said, it's more than that. It's blood poured out for forgiveness of sins so that you can see the light. So that you can be the children of God. Now, he did something also most unusual. In Jesus' time, it was quite common, and some of you know what it is like to, and, and we'll be doing this. You'll take bread, and you'll take juice. In Jesus' time, you would take a piece of bread, and you would dip it into the cup, and it was called the sop. And it would be given to the most honored guest at the feast. 
So Jesus, in the midst of this beautiful moment of holiness that you and I remember today, dipped into the cup, took the sauce. Do you remember who he gave it to? Judas. And I believe he said something like this in his soul. Judas, you are hurting me as much as you can, but I won't take that from you. I'll only take it from my heavenly Father. So you are hurting me as much as you can, and I will love you as much as I can. When we receive communion, you and I become part of Jesus' sacrament of the sop, where Jesus says, no matter what you've done today, if you come with a repentant heart and an open life, if you come loving a new life, a wanting a new life, then hurting me as much as you did, I will love you as much as I can, and I will give you the sop and say, you, you are the most precious person at my feast today. So when you take the bread and take the juice, take it as the sop and feel the great, redeeming, powerful love that is Jesus.